0: God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that any time we read it, it doesn't return void, but God, that you, through the power of your word, you work in our hearts and get us to the point to where we can worship you, we can obey you, God, and as we approach this psalm, God, I just pray that we see it as it is, as the front door into the psalms, and so God, I pray that as we um, are faithfully reading your word, you are faithful to reveal yourself to us. It's in your goodness, it's in your son Jesus' name we do pray, amen. So in Psalm chapter 1, um, how many of you guys have seen the show, This Old House? Right, anybody? Right, it's been on for, I don't know, thir- 39, 40 years, somewhere around there, right? So um, I, I, the, for other crowds, I use Fixer Upper or something like that. But, uh, in, but uh, the, for the, <laughs> Did you get that? Thank you, for some of you. Uh, so This Old House, uh, what's interesting is, is whenever you get down to the end of any of those sort of home makeover type shows, what is the first shot that they show? Well, it's the whole entire front landscape and the front door. That is sort of the the first picture that you get of this house is completed. And then from there, you get to um, walk into the house and you get to see all the different changes that they've made. Um, If you remember Extreme Home Makeover, they would put the big bus right in front. And then the way that you knew your house was new is move that bus. And then the bus would move. And then your first impression of that house was when the bus moved and you saw the front door. Of the house, assuming that all of the inside was even more uh, descriptive, even it had even more different features. And so, what's interesting about the Psalms is I know how many of you guys just have a favorite Psalm, right? A Psalm that you can run to, uh, whether you're if you're happy, you can a Psalm you can run to when you're sad, when you're lamenting, when you have these different things. There's all sorts of different kinds of Psalms that we can go to. Well, in Psalm chapter one. Uh, it's argued that Psalm One is the front door to the Psalms. It's the one that sort of sets us up to how to understand the rest of the Psalms. And so, um, when we get into Psalm One, I want to read uh, verse one, or I mean uh, verse one here, and then I just want to unpack just a few ideas of how this helps us then interpret the rest of the Psalms. Because I would argue that Psalms are probably the most read book in Scripture, because even secular people can come to the Psalms and see some sort of beauty in the, the poetry that's written. Now, anytime we approach the Psalms, we have to understand that it's not, for instance, a narrative, right? It's not a story. You're not going to read Psalms like you read um, uh, the, the, the Gospels. You're not going to read Psalms like you read a Paul's, Paul's letter. Uh, you're going to read Psalms like it's poetry. Uh, and how many of you guys just love poetry? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's not, uh, you know, we as guys were like, no, 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 I don't do poetry. I read action books or just watch action movies. Uh, and so, uh, but but that means when we approach Psalms, we sort of have to read them just a little bit differently. And there are all sorts of different kinds of Psalms. There's lamenting Psalms where uh, you have the, the uh, uh, guys just calling out and crying out to God. Uh, because of uh, whatever's going on in their life. You have uh, hymns, which is communicating God's greatness. You have enthronement songs, communicating God as king. You have royal psalms, which Psalm chapter 2, which is what we're going to be in this week, um, is a royal psalm that, that points straight to Jesus. It shows us who Jesus is, even in the psalms. You have uh, Zion psalms, which Zion is just another word for Jerusalem, looking at Jerusalem as the central place of worship didactic psalms, which Psalm chapter 1 is a didactic one, which just simply means a teaching. And so you have all of these psalms, and then on top of all of these different kinds of psalms, you have all of these different authors that contribute to those psalms. So you have David, you have Solomon, you have uh, the sons of Korah, you have uh, Moses even contributes one of those psalms. And so all of these authors then are writing all of these different kinds of psalms, and um, they, while they were used as, uh, in different ways for the Israelite nation, if we're not careful, we can sort of see them as this conglomeration of things that don't necessarily make sense. And this is why it's important to come to Psalm 1, because it allows us to sort of see, okay, what's the common denominator here? What's the thing that we're driving back to at all points in Psalm chapter 1? So, Psalm 1, beginning in verse 1. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Now, it's interesting. Let's just stop there. The first two words, yours might say, uh, blessed is the one, right? Uh, or how happy is the one. The, those words are synonymous in Hebrew. Um, what does it mean to be, let's use the word blessed. How would you define to be blessed? Somebody. What does it mean to be blessed? Blessed. I know that the word gets thrown around, right? A lot. Somebody said something. Fortunate? Fortunate. Okay. Somebody else? A child of God? God. Okay. Okay, the favor of God? Mm. Okay. Anybody else? Better Better than you deserve. That's right. Okay. Now, what's interesting is we define blessing in a lot of different ways, right? Our society, I'm not saying like we as a church, but we, our society, right? If someone who is blessed, typically when somebody says that they're blessed, it has far less to do with a state of contentment in their soul and has far more to do with what? What's going on around them right? They are blessed because of the various circumstances that they have found themselves in. And so what dictates whether they are blessed or not is whether they're having a good day because they have the right job. Or what dictates what, if they're blessed or not, is uh, maybe it's not their job, maybe it's the right sort of family, or the the wife didn't nag at me today, or, um, you know, uh, my kids actually listened to me today. Oh, I'm so blessed, right? And we hear this word being tossed around a whole lot, saying, well, we want to live this blessed life, but oftentimes those who are are blessed and highly favored are only those who can see, based on the circumstances around them, that they have been blessed or favored by God. But what's interesting is that the psalm begins, all the psalms begin with how happy, blessed is the one. And it begins and it helps us define, so let's define this word blessing in scripture because I think that will help us define the rest of chapter one as well as the psalms. How happy or blessed can basically mean the secret to a life of delight, fruitfulness, fulfillment, and a sense of worth. Right? When we begin to see what does it mean to be blessed, and I love that you know some say blessed, some say happy. When we talk about this happiness, it is really looking internally and saying, how is one fulfilled? How is one joy filled? How is one um, com- uh, living in, the de- in delight continually? Now, Paul says in Philippians chapter four, I know what it's like to have a lot. I know what it's like to have a little. But uh, in any and every circumstance, he says, I, I, I've learned to look to Christ. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So his source then for contentment is found in Jesus when we look at how blessed, how, the, how happy is this one, we're looking at someone, how fulfilled is this one? Now, our world desires fulfillment at all times. We're always looking to something uh, to fill us up. The problem is, is that we often don't look to the right thing. So if you're an, uh, an Islam, a practicing Muslim, when you are looking to be fulfilled, then what you try to do is please Allah. You try and do the right things in the right sort of way so that when it comes time in the end, Allah might look favorably upon you and say, okay, you can come in. Uh, when you look at secularism, you, you talk about different relationships that are that seek to fulfill us, right? Whether it's through, um, you talk about all of these affairs. What, what's the root of an affair? Well, this will make me happy or this is good for me, right? Even though we obviously know it's not. Uh, what's the root of, of um, uh, substance abuse? Any kind of substance abuse. Well, it's, it's a desire to have, uh, to have a feeling of fulfillment. My, I have a long string of alcoholism in my extended family. Um, talk about suicide. My grandfather committed suicide before I was born. And so uh, why? Because of alcoholism. He was an alcoholic car salesman. So he would make these shady deals. They would move around to all these places. One day he couldn't handle the pressure anymore. He tried to stop drinking. It got him to the point to where he drove to suicide. When we look at all of these different kinds of things, when you talk about any of those, any of that, all we're trying to do as humans is to live a life that is fulfilled. And what the Psalms open up is they say, well, how fulfilled, how blessed is the one? And then it comes to the question, well, who does what? Being fulfilled is like a cup that is completely full, that cannot take any more. Like, you cannot add any more water into it. That's what we desire as humans, to be this cup that is completely full. And what scripture is offering is saying, look, how blessed is the one, how happy is the one, and then he offers two paths. He says, well, there's this one way called the way of the righteous, and there's this one way called the way of the wicked in the way, so he begins with the not. How blessed is the one who does not? Sometimes the best to understand who the blessed one is, is to look at who the blessed one is not. And so this is what he says, is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. So again, poetry Part of this poetry is repetition helps us begin to understand and define what is going on here. So we have these three verbs: we have walk, stand, and sit. Now to uh, walk in the advice of the wicked, and then you have sinners. So wicked sinners and mockers. Now what's a mocker? Or uh, maybe your translation said scoffer. What is that? What's that? Did you say someone? Did you? S- right. Oh, a Democrat. <laughs> uh, there are Democrats who are believers. All right, let's just get off of this for a second. Uh, uh, what, uh, what, how else would you define a scoffer apart from politics, please? A what? A bully? Okay. Anybody else want to give it a shot? Ridicules. So what's interesting about mocking and scoffing is that we often see it as those who are verbally mocking and scoffing. So we have a particular antagonistic people um, who are anti-gospel, anti-Jesus, and those are easily identified, right? Those are the atheists who come in, right? I don't know if you guys saw, uh, I don't know how much Facebook, I encourage you to, to stay away from it as much as you can, uh, flee from the enemy. Um, but uh, it, on our Facebook page, Justin, I don't even know if you saw this, uh, Dave Marsh, right? Our children's pastor is sharing our next kid's vision. And as he shares our next kid's vision, you know, you always get the chance to comment. And one goofball uh, commented under there, like, as Dave, who's not even, like, sharing the gospel, he's just sharing, this is what's coming for next kids so that we can reach the next family through the door, yada, yada, yada. And under the comment, it simply said, Christ is a figment. Right? That that was it. Like, And and you're just like, and it was by some anonymous Facebook guy, just somebody. I mean, that is... uh, over the top sort of what scoffing and mocking look like. The other thing though is that while we can easily identify those, think of it this way too. Anyone who lives a life that is contrary to Jesus is Lord is aren't they then scoffing and mocking who Jesus is? Because what are they doing? They're giving their allegiance to something else. How do you scoff or mock a leader Hashtag not my president, <laughs> right? Like we see this, we see this in our society, but whenever you have a king who is rightfully king and then you deny him your allegiance, what are you doing to that king? You're scoffing him. You are mocking him. You are going your own way. And so before we start thinking, well, of course I don't belong to those who verbally scoff Jesus. Well, we're talking about those who live a life that is in, uh, against Jesus. Jesus as king, against God as king, those who live a life that is pledging their allegiance to something differently, something different. So we have these three verbs, to walk. So wicked, sinners, and mockers are all really talking about the same thing. And then you have these three different verbs, to walk, to stand, and to sit. We talk about the one who is blessed, the one who is fulfilled, the one who is happy, the one who is joy-filled. If you want to be those things in your life, do not Walk. Instead of walk, I want you to translate it or maybe think uh, the, the concept that's getting across is to think, to think, right? To walk in the advice of to think like a sinner. When our thoughts have been infiltrated by sin, whether it's particular people who are sinful, who are giving us that advice, or it's the world that we're continually listening to, our thoughts begin to be shaped by sin, If you want to be fulfilled, if you want to be blessed, if you want to be joy-filled, then we do not think like a sinner. Now, part of that, obviously, we are sinners saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And to some extent, we're continually killing our flesh as part of that. But what is influencing our thoughts is then coming out in us. And so, do not think like a sinner. Then the second part of this is do not stand in the pathway with sinners, well, the first one is sort of communicating this thought process like a sinner. If you want to be fulfilled, blessed, and joy filled, not only do you don't think like a sinner, but you don't behave like a sinner. You don't act like one. You you don't do the things that sinners do. How many times do we come to something and say, "Well, uh, because the law of the land is this, therefore I can act"? When we don't even run to Scripture and say, "Well, what does the Bible actually have to say about it?" Right, we let other governing bodies, and I'm not even just talking about our our, our government. I'm talking about just influence in general. Maybe our corporate practices. We let other people, other worldly, secular things determine what is right. But we don't behave like sinners. If you want to be fulfilled, blessed, we don't think like sinners. We don't behave like sinners. And the last one is we don't uh, sit in the company of mockers. We think, we behave, and we don't belong. We don't belong to that group. Now, I want to be very careful here. That doesn't mean not to associate with. Those uh, sinners, right? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, Look, I, I told you to cast the sexually immoral people out from among you. And then he, he turns in verse 10 and he says, I did not mean the immoral people of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters. Uh, otherwise, you would have to leave the world. So Paul makes it very clear. He's like, Look, I told you to get the sexually immoral people out, but I'm talking about people who are claiming to be believers that they need to be kicked out for their salvation purposes. And so this is a, when we get into church discipline and that sort of thing. But he says, I want, you, I want to be very clear. To not associate with those of the world means that I have to rip you out of the world. So you're not going to have these instances where you're going to be completely away from the world. However, to associate is one thing. To belong is an entirely different thing. Because to belong means that, uh, you know, if you have a favorite sports team, to belong to that team, while you may not, you know, play for the Dallas Cowboys, you might wear the hoodie, right? You might wear the T-shirt, to belong is a sense of these people and i begin to you begin to look like them and walk like them right if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan what do you do you yell at the tv every single sunday you get super mad but then you stay devoted like that's the the art of being a Dallas Cowboys fan if you're not one then i'm sure you have other things uh, that aren't as important and so uh, when but when you but this is the sense of belonging So really what scripture says, it says, if you want to be fulfilled, if you want to be joy filled, if you want to be a man of God who is doing what he is supposed to do, don't think like a sinner, don't behave like a sinner, and don't belong to the sinners. But he doesn't just stop there, right? Sometimes I think we think of the Christian life as very simply as, okay, we're just going to not do these things. And we sort of say, all right, these are all the things that I'm not supposed to do. And then we take our box, we set it over there, and we're like, no, I'm not going to do it. And we sort of get closer. No, and I'm not going to do it. And we sort of play this this fun little game. Well, that's exactly what the Pharisees did in creating 613 laws around their other laws. And they just created this box of things that they can't do. And they forgot that it was a complete heart transformation. When we want to live a life that is fulfilled, joy-filled, and blessed, yes, we do not do those things. But there is one thing that we do. Verse 2. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. And he meditates on it day and night. You want to live a life that is fulfilled, blessed, joy-filled according to Scripture as we see, right? So the Psalms, what they are is they are the outpouring of a man's heart who has been blessed by God. They're the outpouring of a man's heart who has been filled up by God. So then you can have all of these variety of emotions. You can be sad. You can be angry. You can be uh, mad. You can lament over something. You can do all of these emotions appropriately when you are appropriately blessed by God. And what does it mean to be blessed by God? That means your delight is in him. Him. And specifically in his instruction. Now, I would argue in God's word. Now, there's two uh, things as part of God's word. First is our delight is in God's fully revealed word that we know of as Jesus. Right. So if you want to talk about a New Testament understanding then of this passage, seeing God's instruction, his full revelation, his fullness of word. We see this in John chapter one. In the beginning was the word and the word was God. and The word was with God. Why is he described as a word? Why is he described as a word in, in, in Revelation? That he is the Alpha and the Omega. The significance of Jesus being the word is that he is the fully revealed presence of God to us. And to delight ourselves then in the Lord's instruction, to delight ourselves then in, the, in God's word, is first to delight ourselves in Jesus, and then the second thing is that we have his instruction that we know of in the Bible, in Scripture. We learn to delight ourselves in him. Now, scripture has a lot to say about itself, right? Let me just read a few. I had about five different pages of different verses. I want to read just a few verses that maybe you can jot down for later. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, this is what scripture says about itself. Why do we delight in this? All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent equipped for every good work. Psalm one nineteen one oh five, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Joshua 1, 8. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written. For then you will, your way will be prosperous and you will, you will have good success. What determines that? By devoting ourselves to the word, you're prosperous and success. Now, granted, that's in that context. At the same time, the principle applies. Delighting ourselves in the Lord gives us life of fulfillment. Matthew chapter 4, right? The context there, Jesus is being tempted by Satan to turn the rock into bread to fill him up because he's been fasting for 40 days out in the desert. And how does Jesus respond? Man shall not live on bread alone, but on what? Every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Where is his delight, his satisfaction, his fulfillment? It's not in the food or the bread, the rock that he could turn into a bread. It is in the instruction of the Lord. Hebrews chapter 4, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. If you have not been convicted lately, (coughs) oh, that was a conviction on me. If you have not been convicted lately, then I encourage you to read scripture because it it pierces us down to the very core of who we are and reveals to us our sinfulness. Job chapter 23, you know Job's life. I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than portion of food. And in one of my favorites, Isaiah 40, which Peter, or Peter picks it up in 1 Peter, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. When we truly see the power of God's instruction, the power of God's word, and we learn what it means to delight in it to the extent that we meditate on it day and night, then then we begin to understand who God is. And in turn, what that does to us is that is the one who is blessed. That is the one who is joy-filled. Because he knows who his creator is. He knows, that's the, that's the man of God. That's the father who parents his kids in the way of the Lord. That's the husband who loves his wife in the way of the Lord. That's the person who does not try to seek anything else, but is fulfilled on him. Then you have the rest of that psalm is basically the result of those two things, right? And psalm, uh, so Psalm 1, verse 3, what is the result of those who delight their selves in the Lord. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. That's the encouragement. You want to prosper. You want to be like a tree, right? They didn't have an irrigation system, so you plant the tree next to the river. And as the tree is planted next to the river, that's how it continues to grow and to grow. But then you, what's the other part of that? If you don't, the wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like chaff that the wind blows away, right? Chaff, you, it's the, the part that you just throw away of the seed. The best example of this is like in corn. You go buy corn, you shuck the, the husk off the outside, you throw that away, and you keep the corn. We're like, that that way of destruction is like the husk that you just simply throw away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. And then verse 6 is the summary statement. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. One who is blessed delights himself in the Lord to the extent to where the Lord's provision is overall. That's what we have. And then the Psalms open up and say, If as a blessed one of God, as one who delights himself in the Lord's instruction, here's how then you respond. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for being faithful to open and reveal yourself through your word. Or continue to teach us your word, show us your instruction, and teach us what it means to delight in you. Not in anything else knowing that our satisfaction, our fulfillment, and our joy comes from you alone. It's in your son Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen.